Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. talking about following love following love this is the second lesson on following love and if you weren't here first of all we talked about the fact that every single one of us God wants to use as a vessel of his power to do what to communicate his love to other people when Jesus was here upon the earth we said that he was filled with and full of compassion and compassion was the driving force behind his ministry he didn't heal deliver and set free people and cast out devils just so that he can prove his deity no he did it because of compassion he was moved with compassion and what about healing their sick we said that it was written and recorded for us so we can believe but not performed it was performed because of love and then we've talked how believers are to be rooted and grounded in love our root system and our foundation all about love and we only can do that by understanding the breadth the length the depth the height to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge and so we talked about that the four endless dimensions we call them of God's love and also we said that we've got that love that love has been shed abroad each in each and every one of our hearts by the Holy Ghost actually love entered into our spirit being when Jesus came in amen the Holy Ghost brought that love in us. Now as we continue our study, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13 and chapter 14 verse 1. Now abides three powerful forces. Faith, hope, charity. Charity is agape. It's love. And they didn't translate it because of the fact that it's a different kind of love. But suffice it for now. These three, but the greatest of these is charity or love. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts but rather that you may prophesy. So follow after what? Love, charity. Three powerful forces in the life of a believer include faith, hope, and love. Faith, of course we know God deals to every man the measure of faith. So faith is a gift that comes to us from God that enables us to access the very grace of God. Look in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access, how? By faith into what? Into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So by faith, we can access the grace of God, but also faith enables us to look beyond the sense world that we live in. Notice Hebrews chapter 11. Aren't you glad for faith? When you step out of the boat, there's something under you. Praise God. You've got faith in the word of God. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtain the good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. It takes faith to look beyond this realm, to understand the spiritual realm that created this world. And so while we've got scientists out there trying to discover where man came from and if there's an unseen world out there, they can't put that under a microscope. It's only by faith. And because of the faith that we have, we believe beyond our senses. You believe beyond your senses? 
You believe there's something beyond this realm in which we live? If God pulled back the curtain, praise God, that separates the natural from the spiritual, you'd see angels. You'd see all the things of God that are out there. But suffice it to say that by faith, you see, we can access God's grace. And by faith, praise God, we can look beyond this realm and look at things that are unseen. But then secondly, we also have this thing called hope. Thank God that we have a blessed hope. And this blessed hope that we have, we understand this, that we want to be changed. That's the hope that we have so that this natural body will be glorified. You looking forward to a glorified body where arthritis can't live in? Amen. And sickness and disease can't live in. Yeah, one day we're all going to get it. And we, won't have to, we won't have to fight against or stand against any sickness or disease because there won't be any. We have a glorified body. But also we understand that this hope that we have in him is a motivating force. It motivates us to do what? To purify ourselves. To live holy, godly, righteous lives. Look in the book of 1 John chapter 3. And every man that had this hope in him this hope that he's talking about in verse 2 was, we're going to see him as he is. We're going to be changed, okay? He purifies himself even as he is pure. You talk about challenges. He purifies himself. See, the hope that we have in him motivates us. It moves us to want to be like him, act like him, talk like him, behave like him, think like him. So that's a motivating force. So we see we have faith. We see we have also hope. But then thirdly, another powerful force is love. But love, you see, is greater than all things because love is God living in us. Look at 1 John 4. Oh my goodness. Look at these verses. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwells in God and God dwells in him. Does it get better than that? Can it get better than that? He actually lives in. That means he is alive and vibrant and active. When we're living in, walking in the realm of love, praise God, God is actively living in us as he was in Jesus when Jesus walked here upon the earth. Now, one reason we could say that love is the greatest is because we won't need saving faith because we're all to be saved in heaven. There's nobody has to get saved in heaven. Aren't you glad? <laughs> you won't have to have any hope because you'll have your glorified body. Ought to be glorified. You're going to have a wonderful body in heaven. Amen? Amen. And you won't have to diet. Aren't you glad for that? Hallelujah. Amen. But love, you see, love will continue on throughout eternity. Love is God. God is love. And so we're going to live in that perfect realm of love throughout eternity. But also I've got some other scriptures here that tell us why love is the greatest. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because of this, these verses, love is the greatest force. And every believer should commit it to growing and learning how to walk in this realm of love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity or agape or love, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Without love, everything else is meaningless. It's empty. 
Can you see? And remember, he's saying, I, if I, if I were to do, so let's say I've got faith, I can remove mountains. I can prophesy. I've got these spiritual gifts. I can speak like tongues of men and of, of angels. I've got all that. As a matter of fact, it doesn't get deeper than this. If I gave my body to be burned as a sacrifice and have not love, if love is not the, let's say, driving force behind what I'm doing, it's meaningless. And if you put it all together, you can say it this way. Paul was saying, if I don't have love, I am nothing. Right? And I'm making a lot of noise. Tinkling symbol. To no profit. Doesn't benefit me at all. So, if we don't want our works to burn up, then praise God, let's build on gold, silver, and precious stone. He says the motive is more important than what we do. Amen. So the motive behind it. Whether we're giving, helping other people, what's our motive? Love, compassion, that's what it should be. Secondly, look at the next one. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 10, love is the greatest because love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. When a person's walk, walk is in the realm of love, he fulfills all the law. That's a pretty powerful statement, wouldn't you say? Because no man can fulfill the law. I know Jesus did it for us, but when we walk in love, all the law is fulfilled. When we step out of love, we're stepping out of the realm of God. When you step in the realm of love, you're stepping in the realm of God. You can dwell in the realm of God. Look at the next one. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, and this tells us about how our faith works. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, but what matters is faith working by what? which worketh by love. The word worketh in the Greek is energy. It means to energize. It is our faith that is energized by love. So if you want your faith charged up, put it on the generator of love. So when a person is operating in the love of God, whether it's for himself or for other people, it charges up his faith life. So it's important to realize that. You see, it's greater. And then the next one, look at John 13. And this, of course, is without question. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another, not as you love yourself, but as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. How? If you have loved one to another. So it's the new commandment of the new covenant to walk in love. So it's the greatest of all things. So if a man will walk in love, he's walking in God and God is dwelling in him. And there's nothing greater than that. Look at the next one in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Of course, we used to sing this song all the time. We made a song out of it in years gone by. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. No, I'm not going to sing it. And knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So notice it says, if you don't love, you don't know God. And what is eternal life all about? John 17, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So really knowing God is what this life is all about. Knowing him intimately, knowing him personally. And how do we get to know him? Spending time with him, spending time in his word, discussing things with him in prayer. That's how we get to know him. We get to know him in scripture. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And if you know me, you know the father. 
Because everything he did was the heart of God in manifestation on earth among men. And so when we know him, we can do great exploits. Remember what Daniel said in Daniel eleven thirty two: 32? They that are strong know their God and they shall do exploits. If you know God. And so when you think about Daniel and about the things that he did when he walked upon the earth, the miracles that took place in his life and how he made decisions that he was, for example, not going to uh, bow and stop prayer, praying three times a day as he did, which was his custom. He wasn't afraid of the king. Why? Because he knew his God. And so go ahead and throw him into a lion's den. It wouldn't matter because he knew his God. So because he knew him, he did great exploits. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What did they say? They knew their God, and they knew that he could and he would deliver them out of the burning, fiery furnace. How did you get to that place? By knowing God. So they didn't bow, they didn't bend, and they didn't burn. Why? Because they knew their God. So when we know our God, we can be strong and do exploits. But what helps us to know God? Love. If we don't know love, we don't know God. So when you know love, you know him. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Another reason why it's the most important thing above all these things, above all things, all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. It's the bond of perfection. So above all things, every believer is to put on love because it's that bond of perfectness or perfection. It's, in other words, it's the mark of spiritual maturity. And this last one here, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8, charity never fails. Just the first part, charity never fails. In other words, it doesn't disappoint. You're not going to fall if you're living in the realm of love. There's no failure when it comes to love. God can never fail. He'll never be a failure. You and I won't fail if we live in the realm of love. Why? Because we're living in the realm of God. So it won't disappoint. It won't cause us to fall or to fail. Now, the Greek words for love. If we're going to live in and walk in this realm of love, it's important we understand something about love and the kind of love he's talking about. Because, you know, we people here in America, um, we think one way. And other people groups think differently. And God thinks a lot higher than, we th- than the way we think. Does he not? So we have some verses here in the Greek. The Greek language is more precise language than ours as far as these terms are concerned. And love, when he's talking about love, he's not talking about, first of all, the first word, the Greek word eros, E-R-O-S, which is where we get our word erotic from. He's not talking about a physical attraction or a physical type of love. You know, you can see, for example, two people that are attracted to one another. Uh, someone can think this woman is absolutely beautiful and the guy's absolutely handsome. One can be a supermodel, other can walk out of GQ, right? And they're really attracted to each other. They sit down and have their first cup of coffee and can't stand each other. Why? Personalities crash. Or they don't want to be together. Why? Because you see, the physical part of it is not enough for them to come together and, for example, have a marriage. Okay? So number one, maybe she or he doesn't know Jesus. That would be the first thing. That'd be wrong, wouldn't you say? That's the first thing. And what about she's a nag and he's a terrible provider? I'm going to meddle a little bit. And she can't cook and he loves to eat. But the list goes on and on. You understand physical attraction is not enough to bring two people together to have a marriage. 
So eros is not enough. Otherwise, Hollywood would never have a divorce. There's not many divorces in Hollywood, are there? Are you still out there? Have you gone home? Not too many. No, just all the time. Secondly, the word is storge. S-T-O-R-G-E is storge in the Greek. And best way to say it would be, it, this is compatibility. It's making yourself compatible with each other. So when he's talking about love, it's not just a physical attraction kind of love. He talks about love, it's not just making yourself compatible because here's where sometimes marriages fail. That an area where two people don't make themselves compatible with each other. They both have different likes and dislikes and that sort of thing, which is perfectly fine and okay. But you can't be going in one direction and she's going in the other direction and the twain shall never meet. You just can't live your life that way. You just can't do that. You've got to make a decision that what you're going to do is you're going to come together and make yourself compatible with each other. That's why I made Krista learn how to like pizza. Ah, okay. I won't tell you what she's made me do. You'll be praying for me. You make yourself on purpose compatible with each other. And the third thing is the phileo love, which is, the, which is where we get Philadelphia. The city of what? Brotherly. It's brotherly love. And this is the highest form of natural human love that we all possess. This kind of love, phileo love, is brotherly love. We love each other. And it's wonderful when everything is in a positive but when it turns negative, look out. You see, this is a responsive kind of love. You respond to someone else's love, whatever they do. For example, you buy me a shirt, I'll buy you a shirt. You give me a birthday present, I'll give you a birthday present. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You say something kind to me, I'll say something kind back to you. But then this kind of love that's also aggressive, if you holler, it will holler back. If you hit, it'll hit back. See, it turns ugly. And so that's not enough. So he's not talking about that God so phileoed the world. The world was not loving God for God to love the world back. Absolutely not. But it's agape, the divine love of God. This is the kind of love that Jesus brought to the world that the world never knew and the world never had before. It is love that's aggressive. It's love that's unconditional. It's a love that's based on decision and principle, not based on feelings and emotion. This is a love, praise God that makes a person say, I'm going to love you for the rest of my life, no matter what. Period. I make a, a choice, a decision. It's not based just on feelings and emotion. That's why when two people come together and they get married, they make a decision that they're going to get married and they're going to live together and, and they're going to live so that, that way for the rest of their lives. They make a choice, a decision to seal that with blood, which says what? I would forfeit my life than to stop honoring my vow. Okay, so we see that's the kind of love he's talking about. This kind of love that's aggressive, this kind of love that's unconditional, this kind of love that pours itself out to the end, no matter what humanity has done, God will still always love us. That's the kind of love that loved the world. He wasn't responding to anybody's love. Look at 1 John three sixteen. This love that's based on principle is also a self-sacrificing love. Remember John three sixteen? Then this is easy to remember as well. 1 John three sixteen. John three sixteen says, God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. That's action. Wouldn't you say it's self-sacrificial? But look at this one. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. That's God's action. We ought, word ought in the Greek means owe it to him to lay down our lives for the brethren. So that's our responsibility to love people in such a way that we lay down our lives for them, that we give ourselves, we sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of other people. That's why Paul said he poured himself out as, as a love sacrifice to, to advance the kingdom of God and do the work of God and the will of God. 
And you know what? If we will give ourselves over to God and just say, I want to do as Jesus did, as far as being uh, one who is a vessel of power to communicate his love, to do what? Preach the gospel, heal the brokenhearted, preach the living to the captive, recovering sight to the blind, set liberty to bruise, preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus did that motivated by love and compassion for the people that were hurting all around him. To him, church was not about just going somewhere and singing songs. It was about reaching out and touching the hearts and lives of people that are hurt and broken in life, that need help and healing and deliverance. That's exactly what he did. That should be our heart. And really, that should be the cry of our heart. Lord, I want to have that same compassion that moved Jesus to do everything that he did to minister life everywhere he went and the discernment to know who wants it and who doesn't. Now, look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14 one more time because this, this is how we get to that place. Above all these things, put on. Everybody say, put on. Put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Charity must be put on. We have it in our hearts, but we have to put it on. It's a decision that we make. Now, you know as well as I do that when it comes to clothing styles, they change all the time. Are you glad bell bottoms have never come back? Are you glad leisure shoot suits are no longer in the, on the equation? <laughs> what do you think of when I say leisure suit? A used car salesman. <laughs> right? Okay. They change. Styles can change. But the way we put on clothing never changes. It is always going to be the same. Isn't that true? Right. Absolutely. Well, what we do is we decide what we're going to wear based on the occasion. If I told my wife, honey, I've got to go do a wedding ceremony and I'm going to go get ready and go. And I come downstairs and get ready to go with a pair of shorts, tennis shoes, and a tank top on. She would look at me and just say, where are you going and what are you doing? I thought you were doing a wedding ceremony. Well, yeah, I just walked by the closet and these clothes just jumped on me. No, you've got to put them on. I have to put them on. I've got to walk in that closet and make a decision what I'm going to wear to perform that ceremony. And it should be the right dress for the right occasion. Should it not? Absolutely. Well, guess what? We're told to put on love. We're to put on love as a cloak and not put on greed, selfishness, envy, bitterness, unforgiveness, or anything that goes against love. We've got to put it on and put off anger, malice, and all those things, bitterness, just put that off of us. Paul talked about what to put on and what to take off. So we're to put on these things so that we can love the way he loved us. But it's up to us to make that decision. What we're going to be wearing from day to day. Are you clothed with the love of God? Amen. We should be. Every single day we should make a decision. Which is why you've heard me say, I've said the love chapter to myself, I can't even calculate how many times I have said the love chapter to myself. From the Amplified Bible, I endure long. I'm patient. I'm kind. I'm never envious. I never boil over jealousy. I'm not boastful or vainglorious. I don't display myself haughtily. I'm not conceited, arrogant, inflated with pride. And why am I doing that? To make that a reality in my life. It's not going to just happen. I'm putting it on. And I'm putting it on every single day. I choose to walk in love. I choose to be aggressive in love. I choose to take no account of the evil done to me and pay no attention to a suffered wrong. I choose to believe the best about every person, praise God. 
I choose to no matter what. I'm choosing to put on love. So it must be put on. And it's a decision that we make. And you know what? If we confess it, it'll become a reality at some point in our lives. So it's up to us. Put off those things like, like anger and all that and put on love. So, agape explain. Look at First Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 8. This is from the King James Bible. This is basically an explanation or exposition of love according to the Apostle Paul. And why is it provided for us? Because we don't know what it's like. We have no clue. We have no understanding of how it acts. But if we're going to imitate God and walk in love, remember how it, it, Ephesians says in chapter 5 verse 1, be followers of God, which means to imitate him and walk in love, okay? Charity or love suffers long. It's kind. It never envies. It vaunts not itself up. It's not puffed up. Doesn't be, behave itself unseemly. Seek its not our own. Is not easily provoked. And thinks no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity never fails. But then he goes on to talk about some things that do and some things that will cease. But, this is, but also right here we have a revelation given to us of the way love conducts itself and how it acts. So in your notes, look at these. First of all, it suffers long. And basically what it means, it's long-suffering. It is patient. And in this aspect of patience, is talking about it's willing to wait things out. Remember James chapter uh, 5. Look at verses 5 through 8, or 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth. We sometimes get impatient when it comes to waiting for something to fully mature and become ripened so we can pick the fruit. But he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. So we are to be patient. We know that he's coming and we want him to come in our lifetime. Any person who's ever lived has made that statement. Would you rather die or be raptured? Or is that a no-brainer? We'd rather just be taken, wouldn't we? Like an Elijah experience, an Enoch experience, who is just taken and all that. Sure, that's a no-brainer. We know that Jesus is coming, but we've got to be patient along the way. And being patient means we're going to wait until the time comes and we know that it's right. But it's also true with other area, in other areas of our lives, how we're patient. Something hasn't materialized yet. We just don't give up just because it hasn't materialized yet. We understand that it takes time for something uh, to bear fruit, for a plant to bear fruit, for example. It doesn't just crop up overnight and bears fruit. It takes time. It takes a season of growing, etc. And then eventually it's going to produce its fruit. So we should be as wise as farmers and as a farmer, we plant the seed and we watch the, the, the thing begin to grow. It, it breaks through the ground and it comes up. And according to Jesus, we don't really know how that process really works. We could think that we know it, but you know, God really knows because he's the one that designed it. But once it comes up, we also know the need to do what? To do a weeding process to keep the weeds away from it because it could choke it out and it'll die. It won't produce fruit just because it's supposed to produce fruit. It's going to produce fruit because someone cares for it, takes care of it. And then with patience does what? Daily waters it. And then it gets to a place, finally it's going to bear fruit. And when it gets to that place, then we pick the fruit and we enjoy the fruit. Same thing is true in our lives. We sow the seed of God's word into our hearts, into our lives. And then we got to get rid of all the weeds. 
whether it's sh being shallow, the scorching sun Jesus talked about, when the silver sows the seed, there's all kind of different soil. It could be the hard soil where it never penetrates. It could be the stony soil where the, the temptation comes and what happens, it burns it up. It doesn't produce any fruit. I'll tell you what, I just pulled out some weeds from my yard. My goodness. Those roots were so long and so thick, I couldn't believe it. You know? And they grow just like that. Doesn't matter if it's hot sun, doesn't matter if they water it. I told Brother Chuck just today, I was doing some walking up in the, where up where I live around the track. And I know they were doing some work up there and, and, and they were cutting the grass and everything. And I, right in the middle of the asphalt track, asphalt, I saw this weed. And I thought, well, let me just go kick it off the track. Well, it was planted. It came up through the asphalt, the middle of the asphalt. No water, scorching sun, it doesn't matter. Why do you think they say, <laughs> they're, they're growing like a weed. You never hear them say, they're, they're growing like a tomato. <laughs> they're growing like an ear of corn. No, you're growing like a weed because it doesn't take anything and you can just grow. Weeds just grow. So it'll choke out the plant, right? And it'll choke it out. Shallow root system will cause it to die and it won't produce any fruit. So he said the, the person has the right soil, has a good heart, a patient, with patience he'll bring forth fruit with patience. So he understands the, the sower of the seed program. He plants the seed into his heart. He keeps it there with patience and he sees to it that he brings it forth because he understands it. It's going to take time, but it's going to produce fruit. But look at the next one. It's kind. And this means that you're not wild mannered, but you're mild mannered and you're courteous. You're considerate of other people. And this is exactly how Jesus was. He was kind. He was considered, considerate. He was stern, yes, but he was also kind and considerate and courteous when he dealt with people. The next one, it doesn't envy. And that word that's used there in the Greek actually means to be zealous for something. You're not zealous for something that doesn't belong to you. You're not jealous because someone has this kind of a ministry or someone has that kind of a ministry and you want that kind of a ministry. You know, when you're first coming to the Lord, you start walking with God. Maybe if you're called into a ministry, you, you, know, you don't realize how many people just want a ministry that someone else has. And they try to duplicate that. They try to get that ministry on their own. They're zealous for that ministry. We can't be that way. There's only one who orchestrates the body of Christ and puts people in the place that they ought to be, plants them there, anoints them there to stay there. I said years ago, uh, when I first came, many years ago, 1984, I think it was, or 85, we had a fella who, was, uh, who came to help us with regard to intercessory prayer. He came from a huge uh, ministry back at that time and invited him to come. And, and share about that. Well, that was a mistake. Even though it was a very popular ministry at that time, um, what, he, what he taught, I had to clean up. You ever hear that expression? I had to clean it up after he left. But I'll never forget this because it stays in my mind. Even it was 1984, 85. And I took him to the airport at that time so he could take off. And he came up to me and said, hmm, you seem to have a pretty successful work over there where you're at. How long have you been there, et cetera, et cetera. We went over all that. And he came from this huge ministry. He says, uh, can you give me some advice? And I said, well, sure. What do you need? What's the key to success? I said, be at the right place, be at the right place at the right time with the right heart. Doing the right thing. In other words, know the will of God for your life. Don't covet someone else's ministry. Don't be zealous to do what someone else is doing. Be at the right place at the right time with the right heart doing the right thing. And you know what? That's exactly what happened here. I was at the right place at the right time with the right heart 
willing to do the right thing. And had I not done my part to step out when he told me to step out, now God would have taken another avenue. He would have done something different. I just wouldn't have been part of the equation. You understand that? So I can't cover what someone else has and say, I want to do what that, uh, that person's doing. I want to have that kind of ministry. Uh-uh. You've got to have what God's called you to do. We should never be zealous toward or for what someone else has or whatever God has called someone else to do. Whether it's ministry or anything else. You know, let God use you the way you are. Let God give direction for your life and for your ministry and praise God you'll succeed. Next one. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't boast or brag about itself. This is a manifestation of love. And look in Jeremiah. In your notes it just says 24, but notice 23 and 24. And this is from God's words translation of the Bible. This is what the Lord says. Who's saying this? Don't let the wise people brag about their wisdom. Don't let strong people brag about their strength. Don't let rich people brag about their riches. If they want to brag, they should brag that they understand and know me. They should brag that I, the Lord, act out of love, righteousness, and justice on the earth. This kind of bragging pleases me, declares the Lord. I like that translation, don't you? So in other words, God's not impressed with our wealth. He's got enough of it himself. He doesn't need it. He owns all the silver, the gold, the cattle on a thousand hills, right? And we're not going to brag about how strong we are. Hey, I won the strongman competition many times. Uh, yeah. And all he has to do is sneeze. And that competition's over, Right? Don't brag about your strength. What about your wisdom? I'm wiser than Solomon. Really? And greater than Solomon came and his name is Jesus. And no one's wiser than the living God that we serve. So we're not going to also brag about anything. Our, our intelligence, our wisdom, our strength. And what about our, uh, as far as our, our reputation, as far as people know us and all that, fame and fortune and everything. No, he said, if you want to do any bragging, brag about this. I know the creator of the universe. I know him who sits on the throne at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's my personal savior, my Lord, and my king. I know the one who's going to be coming on a white horse. And when he comes, look out. Oh, ye inhabitants of the earth. I know the one that conquered death, hell, and the grave, and none of it could hold him down. Can you say amen to that? I know him that named the stars that are in the sky. He knows each and every star by name. He named them. He knows the number of the sands upon the seashore, praise God. And he knows every number of every hair on your head for they are all numbered figure that one out calculate that one out so if you're going to brag brag on the one who shed his blood for you praise God brag on brag on the fact that you know him and who he is and what he's done for you so if we're going to boast let's boast about him and that's what love does love is not going to boast of itself okay next one uh, it doesn't behave unseemly. The word unseemly means it's behavior that maintains a good appearance. And notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, 
And what it says, abstain from some appearance of evil. All appearance of evil. Well, you talk about nailing us down. Man, if there's an appearance of evil connected to that, stay away from it. Love will stay away from that. You know what? Just leave it there. Don't go that far. Next one. Love doesn't seek its own. Love would rather give than receive. It's more blessed to give than receive. Luke 6.38, give, and it will be given to you. But notice, we give with this understanding. Our motive is not to get. Our motive is to give because it's more blessed to give than receive. I'd rather give than receive. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall man give into your bosom? For with what same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Someone, someone would say that I can't give because I don't have enough to give. And he says give and you'll have more to give. It sounds crazy. It sounds weird. It's really running cross grain with mentality or human way of thinking. But if you really put it to the test, if you just get one tomato seed, you can eat it or plant it. And if you plant it, what are you going to get? A whole lot more. And if you keep doing that, you get a whole lot more. So you just keep on planting, keep on giving, in other words, and you're storing for yourself up treasures in glory. Amen. Look at the next one. It's not easily provoked. It's not easily provoked. Really, it should take a lot to uh, provoke us because, you see, love is not easily provoked. You're not going to get me angry so quickly. Uh, it thinks no evil. And I love this one. This one, it takes no account of the evil done to it in the Amplified, which means the word account is, is like an accounting term. It takes no account. It doesn't keep a record. It doesn't keep a record of the things done against him or her. I don't have it in, recorded in a book somewhere. You know, so-and-so did this against me and I'm going to keep a record of it and hold it against them for the rest of their lives. It doesn't do that. Love would never do that. Can you imagine if he did that to us? Whew. Wow. So it thinks no evil, keeps no record of a wrongdoing. But the next one, under point I, it doesn't rejoice at iniquity. It rejoices when right and truth prevail, not in iniquity or wrongdoing or injustices and that sort of thing. Love is always looking for justice to be served and right doing, not wrongdoing. It bears the next one, all things. And this one here, it means to cover or protect by covering with silence. It protects it covers. And 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 tells us exactly what it does. It covers the multitude of sins. Look at this verse in 1 Peter 4 and verse 8. Above all things, have fervent. Now notice the adjective that he uses to describe this kind of charity. If it was just charity, agape, it would be one thing that would be enough. But notice he says fervent. And the word fervent there in the Greek is the same word that's used that this world is going to be, it's going to be changed by fire. A fervent heat. A fervent. When he says to serve God fervently, it's hot heated to the boiling point, to the, to the white point. You ever see a welder weld? Notice they have a shield to protect their eyes because it's so bright, it's, it's going to be damaging to their eyes. And then it's so white right there where they meet, the metals meet. It's that kind of thing he's talking about. Fervent. Fervent love. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves for charity shall cover, cover the multitude of sins. So in other words, I don't want to expose my brother or my sister. I'd rather cover the multitude of sins rather than expose it and bring it out to light. 
And the best thing would be to go to the brother or to the sister and do it in a spirit of meekness and just say, you know, let's get this corrected. Let's get this changed. Considering yourself, lest you also fall. Galatians chapter 6 tells us to consider ourselves. So if you see someone in a fault, go to the person that's in a fault and help them overcome and recover. Next, believes and hopes all things. Notice this. It's ever ready to believe the best about every person is what the Amplified says. Are we ever ready to believe the best about every person? We should. It is so easy to believe the wrong thing about someone. Is it not? That's human nature to believe the wrong about someone. It's easy for us to do that. First of all, you got a devil pointing out everything a person does wrong. It's easy. Secondly, human nature, we've got a telephone pole in our eye, but we can see a, a toothpick in someone else's. It seems like for some reason we're just programmed that way. You know, get behind the wheel of a car. Someone pulls out in front of you. I'd never do that. You probably did it on your way to church here today. You'll do it within two minutes of driving a car because we're all the same. We do the same thing. But you see, when you're developing love, this is what you do. You believe the best about every person. doesn't matter what happens. That's the road that you take. The road of unconditional love. Why? Because you want to emulate the very life of Christ by walking in the realm of love. The next one, it endures all things. Here's where we're patient in adversity. This is what James was talking about when he said, count it all joy when you fall into adverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So now we realize we're going to face difficulties, we're going to face challenges, tribulations, trials, as we live our lives upon this earth. But we're supposed to count it all joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if we want to rise up victorious in that situation, what are we going to do? We're going to be patient. In other words, we're going to be stable. We're, we're not, this is not about the waiting game. This is about being stable and sure that God heard me. He's on the situation. He's working out the details. I'm not going to flinch. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to vacillate. I'm not going to go back and forth. I know that God's at work in my situation. So I count it all joy. The trig of my faith is working patience. Patience having its perfect work in me. I'm perfect and entire and wanting nothing is what James says. And he was talking about in that first chapter all about temptations, trials, and uh, situations that rise up in our lives. And don't think that they come from God. Realize where they come from. You're living in a fallen world and you've got a devil who hates you. And you've got a flesh that doesn't want to serve God. So those three things, the devil, the world, and the flesh come against us in this life. And you know what? When things happen that are ad adverse, temptations, testings, and trials, count it all joy. Praise God. Let patience have her perfect work. So love manifested in patience. And finally, the last one. There it is again. Love never fails. Love never fails fails. Isn't that wonderful to know? I'm not going to fail if I walk in love. I remember when I first came, once again, this is way back in 79, the very first few, I think the first month, within the first month, I went to a convention. We were at that time in a, in a denomination, 
And I went to the convention and I was so excited about learning something from my peers. These guys have been in the ministry for 30 years and, and some more, some less. But I was just a sponge. I wanted to receive everything I possibly could receive, you know. And so I was excited. I'm gung-ho. I went up to Pittsburgh. They were, the convention was meeting that year in Pittsburgh. I was up there excited about this and sat down to one of the big meetings where they were discussing the bylaws and tenets of faith that we believed in. And I sat there with this look on my face and said, Lord, why did you send me here? These two pastors are about to, about to knock each other's head off. They're fighting among themselves. And it was only over a word in the bylaw. No, it can't be that word. It has to be stated this way. Because if it's stated, not if it's stated that way. Are you, and they just kept on bickering and going back and forth and back and forth and back. And you think this doesn't happen. Especially among the clergy. That was one of the times I thought, I know I heard your voice. Maybe that's why he spoke in an audible voice to me to come here. <laughs> I'd have to get by that hurdle. I said, the only way I know is because you spoke to me loud in an audible voice, you know. So I just figured this. I'm going to stick with what I know, the Word of God. When I was at school, I learned about love, how to love from your heart and love the people that God gave you to oversee. And I said to the Lord, I said, I can love them and I'll do that. And you just tell me what you want me to teach them. I'll do that as well. So it's been almost 39 years here this month. So let's all stand together and let's walk in love.